Hi, I'm Coach John Cook, and thanks for listening to today's episode of the Talking Hoops podcast. My guest today is Kevin Sensible. Kevin is the head boys basketball coach at Spencerville High School in Northwest Ohio. Also happens to be a longtime friend of mine. We're both Ohio Northern University grads, but uh, Kevin has had a long and, and really storied time as the head coach at his alma mater as a Spencerville graduate, an outstanding player who had a great career at Spencerville, a great career as a player at Ohio Northern has had an outstanding career as well as the head coach at Spencerville, and I hope you enjoy our, our visit today with myself and Kevin Sensible of Spencerville High School. Hi, I'm Coach John Cook, and welcome into today's episode of the Talking Hoops podcast. Uh, my guest today is Kevin Sensible. Kevin is the head boys basketball coach at Spencerville High School, and in the interest of full disclosure, I've got to be honest, Kevin and I have been really good friends for, hell, I don't even remember how long now, at least 20 years, Kev, because my daughter's going to be 20 uh, next month, so at least 20 years. Um, You know, we're both polar bears. I went to Northern, actually actually took a trip as a student coach at Northern over to McGuffey one night to watch you play in high school um, against Upper Saddle Valley. That's, That's a long, long time ago. And then you, you ended up making your way to Northern, a really good playing career at Ohio Northern, and, and, and now you've been. How long the head coach at Spencerville? Oh, gosh. I've been at Spencerville for 20 years total, but I was I was the JV coach for two years. So this was my 18th year and going into number 19, I believe, next year. Yeah. yeah so that's, it's been a while. It's pretty amazing, actually. And, and, I mean, I don't have to tell you that guys that go to their alma mater and uh, become the head coach. It, 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 it's not always the case that it goes that well. It's not always the case that it can be an 18-year journey. So you've got to feel fortunate about that, I would think. Yeah, I mean, I, I think anymore, it's hard to last anywhere, even if it's not your own mater for any longer than, you know, 10 years or so, because it just seems like, you know, the demand on coaches is so is, is so harsh anymore, you know, with all the extra time that you're putting in the offseason and all the workouts and all the open gyms and all the stuff that you have to do in the summer. And, you know, obviously it's, it's never easy, you know, in, in the, in the parent aspect sometimes. So, um, you know, it, it is what it is, but I, I just know that I feel very fortunate to be here as long as I've been here and I've been, been allowed to do what I love to do. So. Well, one, one of the primary foundations, so to speak of this whole podcast, when I really didn't have an idea what it was going to be when I started it in May, it's turned into the idea because I've had the good fortune of having a lot of really good guests on. And what became clear really early on in, in the process is that everybody's got a story in coaching. If you if you if you've chosen to go into coaching as a career, you've got a story and um, they're, they're unique. Nobody's story is the same as anybody else's. And I guess I would say from what I know about your situation, you, your story at least starts a little bit more traditionally maybe than some others because you grew up in a household with a dad as as a coach in a lot of different ways, correct? Yeah, yeah. My dad was a football coach all my life. I mean, so I I basically grew up on a football field in the weight room in the off season, And I mean, I was always around sports and, um, you know, that was just that was just part of my life. It wasn't. You know, it wasn't like I was forced to do it. It wasn't like it was something that was shoved on me. It was just that that's what we did. That's that's who our family was. We all played sports and and uh, I enjoyed it. And, you know, I, I started to realize, you know, to be honest, football was my favorite sport when I was growing up. And that's I mean, it wasn't close. Basketball was a distant second. Um, 
my dad was a football coach, so I love football. Obviously, I, I put as much time into that as I did into basketball. And I think what happened was, as I got a little bit older, I started to realize that, you know, as much as I love football, I was probably a little bit better at basketball than I was at football. So I tended to put some more time into that towards the latter stages of high school. And then, you know, then it, it just worked out. That's that's where college took me. And, and, and you didn't just play football. I mean, you were starting quarterback for, what, three years in high school? Yeah, yeah, I was. Yeah, I started to play quarterback when I was a sophomore, and and um, and and to be honest, I got recruited to play football as much, if not more, than I did to play basketball. But I just, I felt like, you know, I was, I would, I would have been very small for football in college. You know, I was, you know, six one, and at that time I was one hundred and sixty five pounds. I just felt like that body's not going to hold up in a football game. And it would hold up much better in a basketball game. So basketball is what I kind of, I kind of stuck to, and and uh, you know I kind of fell in love with basketball too when I got in high school. So you know it, it kind of equaled things out. Originally football was my favorite, then it became a little bit of both football and basketball, and then I kind of figured basketball was was my best bet. So was there a was there a uh... A coach during your junior high years, your developmental years, early in high school, was there a coach that had a particular impact on you one way or the other in terms of, of fueling your love for it or maybe maybe motivating you out of anger or frustration? Uh, did you, I know you had a couple different coaches over your program during your time in junior high and high school, but was there a guy that you connected with that, that made a big impact on you? Well, there's no question about it. I mean, I think – for everybody that, that plays the sport, loves the sport, and, and, you know, succeeds in a sport, there's always a coach behind them somewhere that motivated them somehow or, you know, taught them the game and, and taught them the right way. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to play for Mark Jarvis for three years. Um, when I was a freshman, uh, going into my freshman season, Rick Bowersock was the coach, and he resigned after my eighth grade year. And so we had this new guy coming in. Nobody knew who he was. And it was Mark Jarvis, and he, um, you know, immediately, immediately going into my freshman season, immediately showed faith in me, um, and I was the starting point guard from day one. Um, but at the same time, he was tough on me. Um, you know, he did have faith in me, but he had so much faith in me that he demanded a lot from me. And I appreciated him so much for that because he was not going to let me slide at any at any step. Um, but he continued to believe in me the whole time. And he was, he's a great teacher of the game. You know, I learned a lot of things from him, especially defensively. I, I felt like I learned a lot from him. Um, but it was, it was a good, you know, it was a good run in high school with him. And, um, I, you know, I, I just, he, he was probably the most instrumental early on in my basketball career. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting because I, I was fortunate enough to have a really good relationship with Mark, and, and he's not been in coaching for a while now. He, he found a way to get really, really well off financially and make a lot of money doing other stuff. Yeah, he's a smart guy. Right? <laughs> it's been remarkably successful that way, but he's one of those guys that I, I truly hated to see leave coaching because uh, our, our profession just needs guys like that, and I'm not talking about style of play or philosophies. He just – one, he was a relationship builder. Uh, two, he, he was a guy that understood building a program. And what you said, I thought rang so true is he, he would give guys a lot of freedom and a lot of responsibility, but he had a great ability to hold those guys remarkably accountable, um, for their, for their own success or failure on the floor. 
Um, and, and I just think he was a terrific coach. And, I, you know, I knew that he had coached you for most of your career. And really, the, the, the odd part of that is the guy that you would have expected to play for when you were coming up to junior high. Rick Bowersock, also a terrific basketball coach and, right. and, and success in a lot of different places on, on different levels. And um, I was I can remember at that time being a little surprised that the coach was leaving and not knowing much about Jarvis when he took over. But I was fortunate enough when I got the job at Ada that uh, Mark was at Perry at that time. And we, we became very good friends. We really kind of used each other a little bit to, to trade tape and and discuss opponents. And and I, I'm not sure if you're going to be a young player with a high ceiling, I'm not sure there's a better guy to play for early in your career than a guy like Mark. Yeah. You know, he, it was funny because when, when he, you know, and I, like I said, he put a lot of faith in me and he, you know, he had a nickname for, so he always called me pup. Like, you know, I was, I was the young guy. And, and so he was, it's odd. He was, you know, he nurtured, right. But he was tough on me still. And, you know, that, that's not easy to do. The, the, you know, you have to be a pretty special kind of coach to be able to make a guy feel like you really believe in him, but yet you're tough as nails on him and expect a whole lot from him. Because, you know, that's not, that's a tough balance, um, you know, and to achieve that balance, you know, you have to be you have to know what you're doing. And he did. And, and I feel the same way you felt when he got out of coaching. I was like, man, the coaching world just lost a good one. You know, if he's not going to coach, we're missing out. But that was his route and his story. And, and you know, of course, he's, he's done extremely well outside of basketball. But he knew what he was doing. He had, he had good knowledge of the game. He had a passion for the game. And, and he, I think he taught things the right way. And, and I did learn a lot from him. And then, obviously, you know, going on to play for Coach Campoli at Ohio Northern, I was just, you know, I, I kind of – I was very, very fortunate to play for those, you know, for those couple coaches that just are some of the best. Well, and and I'd like to talk to you a little bit about the recruiting process because for anybody that's listening to the podcast that's not familiar, Spencerville High School is a is a, is a small high school in Northwest Ohio. You're a member of the Northwest Conference, um, and, and again, for for some of our listeners who are regulars, they'll know exactly what we're talking about. But not not a large school, small school, uh, but played a, a, a fairly what's the word I'm looking for? Diverse schedule in terms of played some larger schools, played within your league, played some smaller schools. Uh, but when it came time for the recruiting process, the guys that recruit to division twos and really good division three programs aren't strangers to this area of Ohio. So talk about the guys that we, that you were considering playing for and maybe what was the deciding factor in, in, in opting to become a polar bear? Sure. Yeah. Um, well, when I was, you know, when I was a junior and seniors, when I got the most heat on the recruiting path, but I, I started, I think my very first recruiting letter um, came from Wittenberg. Um, and when I was a freshman, I think Wittenberg's coach was at one of my games to watch somebody else play and, and, uh, and saw me play in the tournament. I believe it was against St. Henry when I was a freshman and, and I played pretty well. And, you know, so he, he kind of sent me some stuff and I was obviously flattered at that point. You're a freshman in high school. It was cool to, have somebody interested in you, but as, as time went on, it became more heavily like, uh, Ohio Northern capital, you know, schools like that, Bluffton, um, was in the mix, but Ohio Northern and capital were probably the two that were the most, um, interested in, and they, you know, so I, and I, and, and honestly, they, they recruited some guys that I knew. Um, Ryan Beckstead was my college roommate. He was from Salina and he was being recruited by Capital and Ohio Northern as well. 
Um, and also Ohio Northern was recruiting my cousin um, who lived up in and went, went to high school in Anthony Wayne up in, around Toledo. And, and so that was kind of the, the recruiting path. I remember taking a recruiting visit to uh, Capitol and, and, and Coach Goodwin telling me that they were going to have a new facility by the time I got there. And that didn't happen. <laughs> but uh, it was a good recruiting tool, I can tell you that. But yeah, so it, uh, it, it came down to this. I felt the most comfortable with Coach Campoli. And, and obviously Coach Coleman and Coach Cox were there as well. And those guys had come to see me play, so I knew all of them. But Coach Campoli was the deciding factor. I just felt really comfortable with him. And, you know, he, he was very honest. He was, he was you know, he, he basically said, I'm not going to guarantee you anything. You know, I, I guarantee you nothing. I guarantee you a chance to prove yourself. But, you know, from that point forward, I just, I really liked the way he approached things. The, the word that he used that I think I appreciated the most, and I really appreciate it more now than I, and I even did then probably is the word family. You know, he, he preached that, you know, we are a family here and, and we treat it like that. And, you know, I appreciated that more than, you know, anything else because, and I don't, I really, at the time I didn't know why. Um, but probably, you know, now that I am looking back, it's probably because I was, you know, I was nervous. I was, a, I was a young kid. I was away from home for the first time or knowing that I was going to be away from home for the first time and, and to have that idea of a family with you there, that kind of sold it for me. Well, you know, it, and I'm not regretting it. Uh, I mean, that is the best decision, one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life. And, and, you know, it's interesting because I, I think a staple of recruiting to Ohio Northern from Coach Doherty through Coach Campoli's time, that that 30 plus years um, of them being together, that one of the staples of their recruiting philosophy is we don't make promises. Um, and, and opportunity is the only thing they guarantee anybody. And that's probably not that common anymore. I think it, it, it maybe creates a, a feeling of disadvantage. The more quote unquote entitlement that seeps into young people and the more competitive recruiting gets, I think that's a hard, harder sell. But I also know coach Campoli, if he knew that it was just down to them and capital, he would have said, Kev, that's a no brainer, buddy. I don't, <laughs> I don't see it being a tough choice. But <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Coach was the best too. Yeah, I remember him saying, "What like when when we, he was talking to my parents and I?" He says, "He says something like, you know, I'm I'm so and so years old. I'm not going anywhere. This is my, you know, I, I'm not leaving. So, you know, that was kind of a recruiting fan. This is where I'm staying. This is where I'm going to be. I'm not going to leave you in a year or so." He said, "Unless Duke calls." And I'm right. like, <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. Yeah, I think I've heard that line. Once or twice as well. Well, you, you make the decision to go there and, and you, you play right away. And I, here's what I'll say. It felt to me like you played at Northern forever. But I also would say this without any hint of, of doubt, I, because you did feel like you played there forever. But I'm not sure I ever saw anything happen as fast as your four years at Northern happened. Well, and it feels that way, too. You know, what's funny. I, when I was a senior, I was we were playing up at John Carroll. And it just so happened that John Carroll was having their alumni game that day. So some of the guys that I had played against in the past from John Carroll were there on the court as we took the court. And I remember, I don't know if you remember a guy named J.J. Richardson. Oh, yeah. Do you remember yeah. that? Great shooter. Yeah, he wasn't bad. <laughs> he came up to me 
during warm-ups, you know, so he's he's just leaving the floor. We're just taking the floor. He comes up to me during warm-ups, and he was like, are you ever going to graduate? <laughs> and I thought that was really strange because, you know, for me, I'm feeling like this four years has flown by, right? And he was one of those guys, like you just said, it felt like I played there forever. And I'm like, boy, I sure don't feel like that. But so it was funny if you said that. But, um, yeah. When you, I think when you enjoy something so much, as much as I enjoyed playing at Ohio Northern, you know, like they say, time flies when you're having fun, and it's the truth. I mean, that was a great, that was a great four years, and I had so many awesome experiences, and so yeah, it feels like, you know, in the blink of an eye, it's gone. And you, you finish up there, and and the real world sets in. I mean, you 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 were going to be a teacher and and wanted to be a coach, and uh, I, I think a lot of people in that spot discover that that initial getting out of college and getting started is a very scary time because it's really all about do you have the good fortune of finding a place that you fit and your your first teaching job wasn't Spencerville talk about right. talk about where you landed and 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 what that experience was like getting your your teaching career started and your coaching career started away from home even further than you than you were when you went to college yeah, I, I I really didn't want to come home, to be honest with you. That was uh, when I was a senior in college. I remember, you know, basketball season was over um, and it was in the spring and I was doing my student teaching and I got a call from Spencerville and they said, hey, look, here's the deal. We want you to come back and we want you to be the head basketball coach my first year out of school. And I was like. No, I mean, I, I was, number one, I was, I'm thinking to myself, I've not coached. Right. You know, I, only thing I coached was at Ohio Northern basketball camp in the summer. You know, I'm thinking I'm not ready for that kind of a step. And number two, I, I thought to myself, I don't want to go back to Spencerville, right? I mean, that's just not, I, I want to experience some other things and get away. You know, I don't want to like go to Spencerville and then go to Ohio Northern four years and then come back to Spencerville forever. I just, that wasn't, I just had a different thought in my mind, but so I, I ended up saying, you know, turn it down and, and I just wanted to look and, and find jobs in other places. And so I ended up going to Marion, Ohio and got an elementary teaching job in, in uh, at Pearl street elementary school in Marion, Ohio. And it doesn't even exist anymore. They remodel, you know, read their school. It's like, well, I'm a senior did, but um, I, I enjoyed it. I loved and. I mean, I really did have a lot of fun in the teaching part. And then they um, they asked me to coach eighth grade basketball. And I said, absolutely, I'd love to. Well, they didn't tell me that when they wanted me to coach eighth grade basketball, it was that they had three junior highs at the time. And they were they wanted me to coach the one junior high that hadn't won a game in four years. <laughs> and I was like, well, <laughs> okay. You know, to me, of course, I'm thinking, well, heck. That's a challenge. I we can at least win one, right? So I went to this school, and it was a school, and you could tell that they just, you know, the, the kids that were there had never played organized basketball before. They they just, you know, seventh grade was their first year. They didn't spend a whole lot of time in basketball outside of basketball season, and you know, you could tell. And I, I very quickly realized how, you know, how how much work we had to do to to be competitive in any way. And, um, but it was an interesting experience because for the first time in my life, you know, I'm coaching a team of, you know, kids that I didn't really know. And I had to kind of create relationships with them, but I also had to cut some kids for the first time. 
and that was not a fun situation for me. I didn't enjoy doing it. Um, but you know, we ended up and, and I'm teaching these kids the Princeton offense, which they'd never even seen any offense before. And so I'm thinking to myself, Oh boy, this is, this is going to be interesting. So and I think, hold on, Kev, that, does that yeah, mean, go ahead. does that mean you worked under Tom Hilgenberg? I did. Yeah. Tom was the head yeah. coach. He was the head coach at the time. Yeah, I, I guess I should have. I, I should have really good guy. I should have known that and did. My brother, my brother was Tom's varsity assistant, and uh, uh, I should have known that you worked under Hilgenberg, but I didn't. Yeah, I, th- I think he's a pretty solid basketball guy. I know he was a good person. Um, yeah, I think he was. I think he was a solid basketball guy. They were they were fighting a forest fire with a squirt gun with their schedule most of the time. But yeah. um, th- but the Princeton offense teaching it to kids that haven't played before. I got I got to imagine that's a little bit of a challenge. It was it was the biggest challenge I've ever had as a coach. It was really tough, and you know, first of all, that you know these kids just wanted to get up and down and play open gym style. They didn't want to learn the Princeton offense. I think we literally got like like uh, one rotation out of the Princeton offense, which is like a you know two pass and a back cut thing. Yeah, we had that down by the end of the year, and that was about it. <laughs> but I will say that we won one game. And so that was way better than the last four years combined. So I was, I was pretty, I was pretty happy with that. <laughs> so, and you just, you were just at, at Harding, well, the Harding system, the one year, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So I was there one year and um, very quickly realized that I wasn't really saving a whole lot of money. You know, I was living in an apartment um, and it, it was a nicer apartment, it was in a nicer part of town. And, um, and I, you know, I, at the end of the year, I'm thinking, man, I did all that work for a year. And I don't really don't have a lot to show for it. <laughs> and so I was looking to try to get back towards home, not because I wanted to be back in Spencerville necessarily, but because I wanted to live with my parents. I wanted to see if they would have me for a year or so, just so that I could save some money and then maybe start looking at buying a house or, you know, something like that. So I started to look around at home. And I, uh, I had a couple of different interviews. Um, Bath was was interviewing for like a middle school math job. And Spencerville was interviewing for a middle school social studies job. So I interviewed at both places. Um, and I waited a couple of days and Spencerville called me back and said, um, you know, we want to offer you the job. And, uh, you know, it's just it's odd how it works. But. I literally was, I would have taken either job, but Spencerville called first, you know, and 20 minutes later, Bath called. And I said, I'm sorry, I've already, I've already accepted the job at at Spencerville. And so that's when I started the Spencerville journey. And I, I I was a a JV coach for two years at Spencerville, um, under Scott Nurse. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and then I, I got the, the head varsity job two years later and, been there ever since. So talk a little bit about, I mean, one year coaching junior high, uh, there are a lot of people that can make that claim, whether they did it to start their teaching career, whether they did it in the middle of their teaching career, toward the end of their teaching career. A lot of people have done the junior high thing for a year. And it, it I guess the question I have is, is did it affirm for you, hell yes, this is definitely what I want to be my a big part of my living going forward? Or did you come away from that saying, man, that was not a lot of fun. I, I, don't, I don't know how this is all going to work. Well, I, I don't think there was ever a question that I wanted to coach there. I mean, I, that never wavered for me. I mean, I knew that's what I wanted. As a matter of fact, I was 
I remember when I was, uh, like, the last game I played at Ohio Northern, you know, there was a letter in the mail for me that was for some, you know, showcase out in Salt Lake City, Utah. Like, hey, you can pay, you know, 500 bucks, come out here and play for a weekend. We'll videotape you. We'll send your videotape to all these places like overseas leagues. And, you know, maybe you can try to get to an overseas thing. And I looked at it. And the more I thought about it, I was like, you know, my playing was, I, I loved my playing career at Ohio Northern and I wanted to start coaching. I mean, and that, so that it was a really easy decision for me. I just, I never thought much about it. It was like, nope, I'm, I'm ready to start coaching. And so I knew I wanted to coach. Um, coaching junior high was definitely, you know, it's not what you expect. You know, when you think about coaching, you're always thinking about coaching at a high level and you know, you're coaching a, a bad junior high team. <laughs> it's just not what you expected with kids that really can't, you know, they weren't capable of doing a whole lot, but it, it was still fun. I, you know, even though we weren't very good, I still had fun doing it and I had fun with the kids and it was an interesting experience. So I knew, I knew that I wanted to coach. And when I moved up to the JV here at Spencerville, I, I was, you know, it, it, it kind of cemented it for me. I really, I liked it. I, I, it was more competitive. I, I was really, you know, in my two years of JV coaching, I had fun. I mean, I had a lot of fun. I loved those kids. I still talk to some of them. Um, and then, you know, obviously moving on to the varsity, it was, that was like kind of the ultimate goal. And once I got the varsity job, you know, I kind of thought, you know, initially I didn't want to be at Spencerville, but when I got the varsity job, I was like, yeah, this is this is what I wanted. I, I, I want to make our program at my alma mater. I want to make it something that people know. And, and yeah, so that's what we've been working on ever since. And, and I got to ask this question just because I always find this this whole concept a little fascinating is when you when you go to become a JV coach at a small school, particularly or a smaller high school, where, you know, not division one or, or upper division two. When you're coaching at a small school, I've this has been my take on JV coaching, and I did it for one year at the start of my career while I was finishing college, and I did it for two years later on in my career uh, at small schools. I always felt this was what the JV coach basically boiled down to. You got a group of kids, and you coached them until if, if you had a good player, you lost him when he got really good, and you didn't get him back until his attitude was shitty. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, in your two years coaching JV. I guess talk about the specific way that you felt those two years coaching JV shaped your, your plans as a head coach. Well, I, I was fortunate enough when I was coaching JV, that the varsity guys were kind of set. So I was never really in danger of losing a, a JV player up to the varsity because the varsity ahead of, of my JV guys was older. They were more experienced. They were better. They, you know, it was pretty well set. So, I really didn't worry about it too much. Um, although it did happen, you know, um, I, I did get a couple guys, you know, where they were playing a little bit of varsity and I had to back off on the JV a little bit, but, um, for the most part, it wasn't that big of a role, but I do know this. I feel like, and I've always felt like this. I, I felt like I, I was a, I was a much better coach for my JV guys than I have been for even my varsity guys. A lot of times, because, when you're the JV coach, you really don't have anything else to do yeah. except just coach the JVs. 
And I had a lot of time to, you know, I, I just, I was very, very detailed in the teaching of everything. And, you know, when you get to be a varsity coach, there's a lot more things on your plate. Um, and I think, you know, sometimes if you're not careful, you can get away from some of those specifics and some of the details. And, and that's a challenge. And it's a challenge for everybody, I'm sure. But um, I, I really enjoyed doing the JVs. And, and I felt like we got a lot better, you know, from beginning of the season to end of the season. And maybe I saw that in the JVs a little bit more because I think when you're at the JV level, the talent level from everybody else, pretty much the same. You know, your JVs are JVs. That's, you know, it seems to be pretty common. But the varsity level, that can change because you've got some teams that are just loaded and some teams, you know. So um, I, I felt like I, you could see improvement maybe a lot better in the JVs. And I, I really enjoyed it. I had a good relationship with those kids. and. Um, but it did help me, you know, on the varsity level, because obviously, you know, it kind of set the foundation for what you want to do good at. You know, I want, I really wanted my JV teams to be really good defensively and, and we were. And so I, I felt like, well, that's something that obviously, you know, apparently I, I'm good at getting that to my guys, right. I'm, I'm good at getting that through to my guys. And so hopefully with the varsity, we can do the same. And we tried to do that same thing. So. It was an interesting process, that's for sure. But I, I had a lot of fun coaching the JVs, and, and then and before I moved up to the varsity. Well, you know, it's, it's been a quick first almost thirty minutes, and that actually works out to be a really good spot to take our break. When we come back from the break, we can get right into your start and journey through uh, your God eighteen years now, nineteen years at the school, eighteen okay. as a head coach. So let's go ahead and take a real quick break. We come back, we'll get into your head coaching time. Right on. Hi, Coach John Cook here again. Welcome back into the second half of my visit with Kevin Sensible. Kevin is the head boys basketball coach at Spencerville High School. And, Kev, you spent two years as the junior varsity coach there at your alma mater. Um, and, and, and maybe I should remember this. I remember you becoming head coach. Was it something that you knew prior to the end of that second year's JV coach? Is it something that developed through the summer? How did it come about that you, uh, when you knew you were going to be the head coach and, and begin that process of, of kind of taking over the program that first summer? Yeah, that, that happened in the spring after my second JV season, um, the spring, my principal was also, he was the middle school principal. He was also the athletic director and he called me into his office and, and basically just said, Hey, here's the deal. We really, really want, we've wanted for a long time to have a teacher be our coach and that hasn't worked out. And so on and so forth. Well, at the same time, this was all going down. Um, Walpock's job was coming open. And he basically said, listen, I, I know that Walpock's job has come open. And there's been some people tell me that, you know, you might apply for it. Is that true? And I said, well, I mean, yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I might apply for it. And he said, what if I told you that you don't need to apply for it? And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, we really want a teacher um, to be a head coach. They think that's beneficial. Um, we like having somebody here all day with the students that they're coaching. So that kind of, you know, there's some accountability there. And and uh, and it's, it's time for, for that to happen with you. 
and so I, you know, I, I, at the time I, I was kind of hesitant because I, you know, I didn't want to say, yeah, I, I want to do it. And then they, you know, then they go and <laughs> let go of the guy that I'm working for. Right. You know, I right. Said, I said, well, and that's, I kind of explained that to him and said, you know, I, I don't want to be that guy. And and they said, no, no, that, that, that really has nothing to do with it. It's, we're ready to make a change. And we just want you to be the change that is made. So that's kind of how that went down. And, and I was excited, man, when I took over, I was, I was excited. And, and the first thing I thought of is, okay, who in the heck do I trust that I can have on staff? You know, cause I feel like as a, as a varsity coach, the head of a program, it's so important that you have loyal people on your staff, loyal people. And so I, I just thought, who I'm going to, you know, that I was racking my brain and trying to find out people that were not only knowledgeable, but, but loyal. That was the biggest thing for me. And, and, uh, there was a guy that I was, I was actually coaching baseball for. He was, you know, a, a, an assistant basketball coach and the head baseball coach. So, and he and I were good friends, uh, Aaron Vaughn. And, um, I thought, yeah, he's going to be loyal. We're already good friends. He's already been in the program. He'll help me out. And then I, you know, I kind of was like, you know, my dad would be really good at teaching young people and I know he'd be loyal to me. And so those were kind of the first two hires that I made. Um, and, and Aaron, uh, moved away. Uh, you know, he ended up, um, having triplets moving away to another school. Um, and, and he was pretty busy, so he couldn't stay with me, but, um, my dad ended up coaching for a bunch of years, 18 years with me. And, and this was his final season. I had heard that, that might be the case, but I wasn't sure. And, I, and it is remarkable, Kevin. I know Aaron left, but you 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 filled that spot really uh, well and and ably. And and you've had a, a tremendous amount of stability in your coaching staff. Um, yeah. And I got to believe at any level that's important. But specifically when you and we could spend a, a whole podcast talking about the the ebbs and flows of a small school high school program, but you went through just periods of of almost irrational success, and then had some very serious struggles in recent years, uh, yeah. where I, where I've got to believe getting through that with stability on your staff has been pretty important. Yeah, you know, right after Vonnie uh, left, Vaughn left, I, uh, I I hired Matt Goki, who's one of my good friends, and. And he's been on staff ever since too. So we haven't had a whole lot of turnover. Um, I, I hired uh, Derek Goki. Derek played for me. He was a senior in 2013. He was a really good player. He played football at Tiffin. Um, I hired him last year as, as kind of an assistant, knowing that my dad was probably going to be done soon. and Derek would be able to take over for him. So Derek's going to be the JV coach this year. But one thing I love about my staff right now is that my JV coaches – my junior high coaches, they're all guys that played for me. And I love that because they know exactly what wearing a uniform is like for us. And I don't have to teach them, you know, our defensive system. I don't have to teach them a whole lot of, you know, the, the, the small technical things because they did it all. They've done the footwork. They've done, you know, they know how we do everything. That's been really beneficial to me because I can spend less time teaching them you know, it's already been done. And, and, and I tell you what, Kev, I think it's an, it's an underrated impact on a coach when you have to coach your coaches. 
Uh, I, I think it takes a tremendous toll on a coach during a season if they have to spend a lot of time coaching their coaches. Um, Absolutely. And, I mean, it's yeah. ne- it's necessary to a degree anyway, but if you have a lot of turnover and consistent turnover and you're having to re-coach your coaching staff, it takes a toll and it makes it difficult to, to sustain or, or make progress. And so you, you, you haven't had that to deal with. And, and I mean, I'm, I'm biased cause I'm close to you and I'm, and I know your dad really well. And, and, and I, I know Matt and you've got not just a stable staff, but a, a remarkably reliable staff. And, and you've got some, some uncanny connection and, and, and I don't know, you guys, you guys are in sync a lot. Uh, as a staff, yeah. and I think it makes a tremendous difference. But I would, if, I, if this isn't too sensitive of a question, I would like to ask it, and you can share what you want, or or you can tell me to pound sand. Hell, it's a podcast; you can say whatever you want. But uh, when you took over the head coaching job, it wasn't going to be a whole lot of time after that that you were going to be coaching the sons of the guy that you replaced. Yeah. Um, th- that's a dynamic that would be. I, I, it would be sensitive no matter what. And when you're doing it in your hometown where people know things about you that maybe they don't always know uh, and, and know who you are and have known you since you were a kid. Uh, talk about, about juggling that, dealing with that and, 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 and handling it without it being any sort of disruption to how you want to operate your program. Well, that's, that was a tough one uh, to be honest with you. You know, think about a, a guy that was, that was coaching before me. I mean, you know, you, you've got to feel like at least part of the reason that he took over the coaching job is maybe to coach his own kid someday. And then to know that, like, you know, he wasn't going to be able to do that probably wasn't the easiest thing for him. And, and you know, I, I would assume that when I was hired, there was a there was there were probably some expectations, some, you know, like, hey, this guy played in college. And, you know, that that probably wasn't easy for him to hear that, you know his kids are going to be coached by this guy, you know, and and so all the attention is gone from him. And I can't imagine that was easy. And it wasn't. And he and I, he and I struggled with that relationship. You know, I had a good relationship with him when I was coaching for him. But when I was, when I was coaching and I was coaching his sons, it wasn't always easy. Um, And that's just the way it is sometimes. I mean, he disagreed with some of the things that I did. And that's life. But I think that's, that, you know, that happens everywhere you go, but that was a kind of a unique situation in which I think he would have loved to have coached his sons. Um, and it probably bothered him. They couldn't. Well, shit, they, they were, they were good. Got taken out on me. Yeah. They weren't just his sons. They were good players. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. His oldest son, Lucas, who's now a doctor. Uh, he, I mean, he was, he was a good player. He, you know, he was, he ended up being my defensive guy. He was my defensive stopper. We always put him on the, other team's best player, best guard. And he did a really good job with it. And, you know, he bought into it. Um, and then Logan was, you know, Logan is our all time leading scorer. He has scored 1500 points and he ended up walking on at Dayton. And, you know, obviously he had, he, he was a great player. And, and then Mason came along and, and Mason was a good player too. Mason got recruited by some small division three schools and, you know, he could score it and, and so, yeah, it was a it was an interesting dynamic. And, and to be honest, Mason's Mason's was probably the most interesting because when Mason was a junior, he was good enough to start, and I didn't start him because I just felt like we needed a, a different group starting for our defensive purposes. And Mason was great offensively, and I thought coming off the bench he could help us more. And that didn't, you know, that didn't sit well with with 
with Scott. And and I, I understand that because he was good enough to start. He just we had other guys that were also good enough to start, and that was a choice that I had to make. Um, and you know, Mason bought into it, and he did just fine with it. He had some huge games for us off the bench. I remember a night where we played at Crestview, and this is when JB was coaching, and um, and Mason came off the bench and had twenty six, you know, off the bench. So obviously, it worked out for us, and and uh, we won that game. So you know, but it is tough, and that's just you know that's the reality of it. I mean, but I always felt like this. I'm never going to please all the parents. That's never going to happen because somebody, you know, when you play a basketball game and there's only five guys that can start five guys get, you know, are on the floor at a time, not everybody's going to get a bunch of playing time. So I'm never going to make everybody happy. So what I decided from the very early, you know, from the very time that I got the head coaching job was I am going to believe in certain things and I'm not going to waver from those things no matter how mad it makes people and no matter how uncomfortable it can be, because that's hard. You know, everybody thinks that, you know, these coaches are, are just these machines that like, you know, make these decisions and they have no emotion. That's not true. You know, there are players that I like a whole lot, but I don't play very much. And that's not easy either. I mean, that's, right. so, you know, it, it is what it is. I just felt like, you know, my job is to do the best that I can do for our program period. And there are certain staples that we're going to do as a program, period. And the people that do those things the best are probably going to play the most. And that's the end of it. There's no other, you know, you, there's nothing else to it. That's what matters the most. And, you know, sometimes, you know, it, emotions kind of get in the way and, and that can be difficult, but I really try to stick to we're doing what we do the best way that we can do it. And if that makes people mad, you know, it, it is what it is. Sometimes that's going to happen. Um, but, you know, going back to Scott and I, Scott and I have a good relationship now. Uh, we have no issues, you know, um, it, like I said, it wasn't easy when his kids were playing, but it's easy now. His kids aren't playing anymore. I think he understands. Now I still talk to his sons. I still enjoy them. I still get along with them. So, well, and, and I, Kev, I think it's 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 fair to say, and I, I think the sooner that people can accept it, the easier it is to deal with. And it's just hard to accept that if you've got children playing sports, you see sports through a prism. You don't you don't see it unadulterated. You don't see it, you know, clearly. You see it through a prism, and it, and it changes how things look. And and I, I always said the same thing when I was a coach. Look, as long as we understand that we're not going to agree, as long as you understand that my decisions are going to be based on in this order, what is best for this program? What is best for this team? And then what is best for the individual player? If you can accept that I'm going to make the decision in that order and your thoughts are going to be what's best for my son, what's best for the team, and then what's best for the program, those are in reverse order. As long as we know that, we don't have to agree. We just have to understand why we disagree. And you've got to accept that I'm the guy making the decisions. And the parents who do that, again, just like it's not an easy decision for a coach, it's not easy for parents to do that either. But the ones that do it are the ones that after it's all over with have a best chance to understand things a little better. And and you, and you can can reestablish the kind of relationships that you want and that you're fortunate enough to have with Scott. And and Scott and I have always gotten along well. So, I'm again, I may be a little biased on that, too. But it's now that you've got that in the rearview mirror that it, it makes it possible. Sure. Yeah, and I think you hit it on the head. What's happening is is not that we have, you know, 
different opinions necessarily. It's just that we have different perspectives. We have, I see it from a program perspective and they see it from an individual perspective, you know, first. And that's just not, I don't have that luxury to be honest with you. And that's just the way it's going to be. And, and I think that's why coaches tend to stick with coaches because coaches know what coaches go through and only coaches know what coaches go through. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's yeah. just, that is the truth. And, and, and no matter how you want to slice that, there's no way around that fact. It's, that's not changing. There's no like, well, sometimes no, there, no, that's not the case. It coaches, know what coaches go through and only coaches know what coaches go through. And that's just the, I mean, you know, the, the difficult thing for me is I'm, you know, I'm a coach. I've been a lifetime coach and I'm just now approaching coaching my own kids. Right. You know, my oldest son is going to be in a, a part of our program next year as a seventh grader. And that'll be interesting when that dynamic happens. If I'm fortunate enough to, to be coaching still when they are up in the high school levels, you know, coaching them and, and seeing how that changes my perspective. But, um, you know, it, I know it's not easy. I, I had, listen, I had a kid this year, his, you know, his, his, uh, his parents were not real happy with me all year long. Um, he was a senior that didn't get to play a whole lot. Um, I had a good relationship with him. I had nothing, you know, nothing against him at all. His parents were not happy and they, they posted it on social media. And, you know, I was the bad guy, you know, it's not the kid's fault. And, uh, I, I didn't hold it against him. It's just, it's just the way it is. And it's, it's not easy. It's an interesting dynamic. And I don't, I'm not sure that'll ever change. I mean, do you think? I, I, I don't see it. I don't see how it could because I mean, could it? that's the other thing I used to tell parents too, is I don't think you're ever going to feel differently. And I don't think you should, that's your kid. Right. Um, you know, but it, but it, it is different and hopefully, uh, it, it's, it's the, it's the retrospect that I think is important for some parents to hopefully gain the retrospective view and, and be able to say that they can grasp at least now some better understanding. Some will, some won't, but never is it going to be a hundred percent. Here's my next question that kind of feeds off of that though is Kevin, you, you've been there 18 years. You've had a remarkable run of success. I, I'm going to botch the years a little bit, but, but about 2009 ish through 2014 was stupid. How good you guys were. Um, and then you've had some, some struggles in the last couple of years. Talk with, with uh, me a little bit. And so our listeners can, about having a confidence in yourself as a coach, um, that's, that's born out of who you are and what you've done and what you know works and still remaining a, a, a learner and a grower and, 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 and continuing to evolve as a coach, even though you've got a certain level of confidence in what you do and always have done. Yeah. Well, you know, when, when I first got the job, um, you know, we had some talent in the junior high. We didn't have as much in the, in the high school, but we were we were okay. We had a few kids that could play a little bit. And, you know, we started, I think we are 12 and 8 my first year. And then I had a freshman class come in that was pretty good. A couple of those guys helped. That was when Logan Nurse came in and Isaac Bowers. And we got a little bit better. We were 14 and 7, I think, that my second year. And then the next year we were you know, what was it? 18 and four and then 18 and four and 16. And, you know, so we had a, a pretty good success and, you know, obviously it was mostly because we had good players, you know, and that's, that's kind of where it came from, but I was pretty comfortable with, you know, how we did things defensively. And I always struggled with offensively, like, you know, what do we need to improve on offensively? How can we get better offensively? Cause I always felt like that was probably my weakest, 
Um, and I think when you lose, you know, we lost that group of players that was, that was really instrumental in all those wins. And that's when you find out, Oh, yeah, I really need to work on some things offensively. Or how do we get guys shots that aren't really good at getting their own shots? You know, things like that. And, and we went through a, a three-year span where we weren't very good. And then we had some guys come coming through the system that were pretty good again. Uh, matter of fact, the, the, there's uh, my three coaches I told you about that are on my staff, Cole Roberts, De- uh, Devin Cook, and Derek Goki, were all graduates of 2013. Well, when they were freshmen, we weren't very good. And but they were fresh and I knew they were going to be good at some point. And so we played them early. We kind of, you know, struggled for a few years, but man, that group right there, the two, the, the graduates of 2013, I felt like that's when our program really, really took off because when they were fresh, we weren't very good, but man, we grew and we started to figure things out. We, you know, didn't really do a whole lot different defensively, but we tweaked some of things offensively. And those guys played so hard, and that's when I felt our program really took off. And in 2013, we won the league, uh, upset LCC one of those games. It was a lot of fun. Went to the district finals, and and then in 15, we won it again. We had a pretty good group of guys. In 17, we won it again. We had a really good group of guys, won the league. So, um, you know, we had some success, and then all of a sudden, we lost a lot of those players, and we fell off. In these last couple of years, we've really struggled, and you know, it has been tough to maintain like your confidence as a coach. Like, man, you know, there are times where you go, what the heck am I doing so wrong that we're not, you know, getting all this. But, you know, I think those, those successful years and, and guys coming back, I have a lot of alumni come back and play open gyms and stuff right now that, you know, they're really proud of the way we do things. They're really proud of the way they, they went about their business. And I think that gives me a lot of confidence is that those guys know that it works and I still am in contact with those guys. And so they help give me a little bit of confidence too. But, um, you know, I think the reason we struggled the last couple of years, we've been super young. We've been playing guys as freshmen that weren't ready as freshmen, but we didn't have a choice. Our numbers haven't been the best the last couple of years. We've had some guys, you know, becoming eligible. We've had some guys decide not to play, you know, so there's been so many things. It's like, so it, it has been tough, but remember this is, you know, we, we won like three, four and six games in these last three years. We had a spell like that before that 2013 class came too. And so I, I've been through this three year lull before. And I think right now we're ready to, to come back. You know, we're ready to start, being competitive again and, and think about winning league championships again. And we're, we're starting to get ready to do that again. I'm, I'm really pleased with our guys. And, you know, I told the guys earlier this week, I'm really comfortable with how we do things. One of the things that I want to look at is why we do things. You know what I mean? Sure. I, I don't, I, I don't want our guys to play hard because they're supposed to, you know, I don't want them to, to play hard so that, you know, coach doesn't take them out. Right. I want them to play hard for each other. I want them to care, you know, about each other and, and to, to, to be motivated by the guy standing next to you and not motivated by, you know, outside influences or, or, you know, coach getting upset or whatever the case may be, you know, whatever kids are motivated by, I want them to play really hard for each other. So I guess a long way to answer your question. I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with what we do because I know it works. 
I just want to change maybe why we do it. And I, so that's what we're looking at. I think that's uh, that's a good starting point because and, and Kev, for guys that have not had success in coaching, they're, they're going to be offended by me saying this, but there's truth to this. Once you've had a high level of success, the way the world defines it, you know, 17, 18, 19 wins, whatever that might be, sure. it's a big challenge in coaching to get into a time frame when you have to start redefining success. And, and, and when you struggle and the talent level is not there, you have to redefine success. You can't just say, well, because in 2014 we won 17 games, you know, then 17 games is what success is because you, you may not get good enough talent-wise for a while to get there. And so you have to redefine success. But I think what you just said is maybe the bigger challenge is getting your kids to reach a maturity point where they can actually question the why of, of what they're doing, the why, and grasp the why. That, that that could be a tremendous challenge for you. And think I would think one that maybe excites you a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I, I, and I've actually – you know, reached out to some other guys about that. We, we just had uh, Taryn Sullivan. Uh, Taryn, you know, is a great player. He's playing in the TBT this coming weekend, but he came and worked out our guys the other day. And I, that's kind of one of the things I asked him. I asked him in front of our players, like, you know, on, on the best teams that you played on, you know, why why were those teams great? You know, what made them so good? What Why were you so motivated? And he, he talked about it a little bit. And, you know, the, Basically, I, you know, I want our guys to, to, to play so hard because they don't want to let each other down. You know what I mean? That's probably the one thing that I would like to see us get to that I don't feel like we have been in that, you know, we haven't been there recently. And I just, I want that to come back. And, you know, I, because a team that, that has relationships and, you know, that, that plays for each other is obviously going to be better than a team that is playing for themselves. And, you know, obviously talent's a huge part of that too, but let's say you have two equal teams, two equal talented teams, equally talented teams, who's going to win? The team that plays for each other and that plays together the best and that, you know, and, and that, that fights like crazy because they don't want to let each other down. And that's what I want our guys to get to. Well, I think with an older team, we're, we're more capable of doing that. I think you hit it right on the head. I think as you grow, you get to where that, that becomes something that's possible. I don't know if you know Tom Heil. He's the head coach at, at Bowen Wallace. But Tom played at Bluffton when I was an assistant, and we have a good relationship. But he uses a term a lot with his guys that, that they try to focus on. They, they call it competitive maturity. Um, and, and they've tried to put a definition to what competitive maturity is. And it's about a lot of those things about understanding your why and about competing for, um, the, the guy beside you. And, you know, the old phrase of the, the, the name on the front of the Jersey being more important than the name on the back. Uh, right. I, I think guys that compete in that way are more competitively mature than guys that just go play hard because they want to win or because they, you know, they, they love basketball. Not that there's anything wrong with all of those things, but, um, there's a lot to me, there's a lot more depth to not wanting to let someone down than there is to just being hungry to win. Uh, I think there's a lot more depth to that. And I think you can create more, um, a, a higher ceiling for your team if, if that's how you're going about things. So you guys are, yeah. you guys are back in the gym, getting a chance to yeah. work out and now finally start playing and you'll have hopefully a chance to maybe even do a little bit of quote unquote normal things this summer before we look ahead to next year. Nobody knows what next year looks like. So I know you got a lot going on. You got a lot on your plate. You shared a ton with, with me today and I appreciate your time. I told you I would try to 
keep it to an hour if we could. Um, but you're one of the guys that unfortunately your number is always going to stay in my phone. So this probably won't be our last podcast. <laughs> I hope not. I had a lot of fun. I enjoy talking hoops anytime. Well, it's easy to do. And I would love to get into some X's and O's with you about some things that have evolved over your time as a coach in terms of how you teach things. And that, that, that can be a separate podcast and I'd look forward for the chance to do it. But between now and then at some point, I need to be able to swing by and pick up a large Spencerville basketball t-shirt to keep with the ones that all my guests are supposed to be sending me t-shirts. Nobody has yet. So you have a chance to be first if you want to get on that. Yeah, that, that's a challenge. I'm in. I'm, I'm going to be the first one. I would appreciate it. It might have holes in it. It might be a used one. I want to get you one fast. Hey, oh well, but it, you got the guy that's getting it probably doesn't deserve much better. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't bend over backwards to make sure it's too nice. But uh, we'll definitely sport it. There's no question about that. So listen, I'm gonna let you go. You give my best to, to Gina and the boys, and um, we will. We'll do this again soon. I hope. I'm looking forward to it. I really appreciate you having me on. You bet. Take care, buddy. All right. We'll see you. Thanks so much for listening again today. If you would like to listen to previous or future episodes of the Talking Hoops with Coach John Cook podcast, you can listen on Spotify or Google Podcasts as well as several other podcast platforms. Please review, rate, and subscribe. And if you would like to support the podcast financially, you can do so at anchor.fm backslash John dash Cook. That's J-O-N dash C-O-O-K zero. Anchor.fm backslash John dash Cook zero. Thanks again. Hope to talk hoops with you again real soon.